Hey everybody, welcome back to Colony Drop, your favorite Gundam podcast. My name is Isaac. And my name is Brian, and this is a podcast where we talk about anything and everything related to the Mobile Suit Gundam franchise, from the anime to the movies to the models to the music to the clothes, the food, you name it, Isaac, we do it all. That's right, Brian, and today we're talking about something very special, something amazing, something that <laughs> certain Gundam fans might not even know about. Isn't that right, Brian? Yeah, there was this, a movie that came out in the last uh, year, I guess, back when we watched the original Mobile Suit Gundam. We, we mentioned that there was a lost episode, episode 15, called Doan's Island, and the original character designer from uh, Mobile Suit Gundam, Yoshikazu Yasuhiko, he was also the writer and illustrator of the origin manga. Oh, nice. Wow. He redid episode 15 as a movie i'll say loosely adapted it's not exactly the same but it's sure. general plot is there yeah sure and we got a whole movie out of it isaac of the original gundam in, in nice new animation it looks basically exactly like gundam the origin you know slightly updated i guess yeah. it has a pleasant surprise isaac yeah absolutely i think i speak for the both of us brian when it really wet our whistle and made us want a whole <laughs> remake of the original series in this style because it was beautifully animated. It was a great story. It was a great experience. Who knew they could stretch out a, a single episode for about two hours, maybe a little over two hours. <laughs> oh, no, I think it was about an hour 48, something like that. But yeah, wow, what a what a great ride this was. Yeah, I loved it. I thought it was fantastic. So that's what we're going to do today, listeners. We're going to uh, review, discuss... Mobile Suit Gundam, Kukuru's Doan's Island, the film. Yeah. Let me give you some particulars, Isaac. So this is, again, it's a it's a film. It was released on June 3rd, 2022, theatrically in Japan, and then followed uh, somewhat quickly thereafter, September 27th and 28th in 2022 in the U.S., and then it hit streaming uh, in April of uh, 2023 for the U.S. Now, Isaac, the only regret I have here is that we were not able to see this in the theaters because when I say it was released on September 27th, in the U.S., it was literally just September 27th and 28th. They didn't show it any other day. And uh, if you couldn't get off work, you know, to make the whatever it was, like the 5 o'clock showing, right. you were kind of out of luck. So uh, I personally couldn't do that. I don't think you were able to either. And uh, that's, a, that's a big regret. I don't, you know, we're not, I doubt they're ever going to show it again. So kind of a bummer. No, unfortunately not. But the great thing about the Internet is you can kind of look for anything. And you can find it. <laughs> and then you can <laughs> <Absolutely>. watch it. <laughs> yes. Speaking of availability, this is currently available on Crunchyroll. And as of the day we are recording, it is also available on Gundam Info, uh, which is the official Gundam YouTube channel. However, I believe on Gundam Info that when they put it up, uh, usually just like all the other series they put up, they do not put up the English dub. They only have the subs, uh, which uh, that's fine. But if you want to watch the dub, like Isaac... <laughs> You gotta go to Crunchyroll, or you gotta consult Isaac's uh, sources yeah. in the Crossbone Vanguard. You know what? The the good thing about English dubs is, uh, you know, they're usually lying around the corners of the internet. You just gotta go look <laughs> under those shady, shadowy corners, and uh, you know, you can find anything available already, ready for viewing, anime wise. And uh, yeah, I mean, why pay a membership? Why subscribe? Just do uh, you know the right Google search, and you can find the uh, the exact Gundam anime you're looking for. <laughs> it dubbed. <laughs> Uh, what's that that line from Sin City? It was great. It was like Marv when he was walking around. He's like, you look down the right back alley in Sin City and you can find anything. I guess so. <laughs> uh, the other one I liked from him, the more was um, modern cars nowadays all just look like electric shavers. And ever since I heard that, I like I can't stop agreeing with it. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic movie. Second one, not so great. But first one, yeah. phenomenal. Uh, Isaac, interestingly about this, there's no 
They have not released this on Blu-ray in the United States yet. Ah. So really, the only way to watch the dub is Crunchyroll. If you wanted to, because normally you could go buy the Blu-ray and watch it there too, but they just haven't released one. They did in Japan, just not over here. Is that because, like, why put in the capital for that? Because Blu-rays, I would argue, is a dying media by now. I mean, it's essentially, they might as well call it, like, collector's ray at this point because nobody mass market is is buying this anymore they're just going through their their streaming platforms hoping something comes up that they like yeah i'm not sure i mean i think this one's in a little bit of a weird scenario i don't really know the right situation but i got the sense Mm. uh because i think crunchyroll controlled the theatrical release obviously crunchyroll Mm -hmm. they obviously prefer their streaming platform so maybe they just don't want to release it on blu-ray i think a lot of anime does pretty okay on blu-ray given that like you said it is sort of a collector's thing because you know, if they take your anime off the streaming platform, there's really no other way to watch it, right? right. So I think this is one of those things that maybe, well, maybe does a little maybe better. Maybe not no other way, but uh, <laughs> well, I mean, no, no other official way, no, no other non-crossbone Vanguard, of course. Anime, but. Um, but Brian, you just said something pretty uh, insightful right now. You just said that this is kind of in a weird spot, and that's true in multiple ways of looking at uh, Dones Island. If you think about it, for some people, this might not be canon from a certain point of view because it Mm. wasn't part of the original run they saw number two in a way this is almost a perfect side story almost right up there with eighth ms team because it had an impact on the setting but at the same time it was so almost off to the side that it didn't affect a whole lot compared to what happened it was almost like amuro's you know weekend getaway (laughs) and then he comes back to the ship and like everything goes on as normal yeah it was one of those vacations where you know you don't feel very rested afterwards you actually feel more tired it's a vacation with nuclear weapons (laughs) Um, so it doesn't really follow the tv continuity or the film continuity it it follows more along the lines of the origin continuity which is slightly different Mm -hmm. I mean, Slegger was obviously in the movie, and he was there. He was on the crew much earlier than he was oh, in, Slager. you know, in the original series. And <laughs> he might have had the best line of this of the, of the uh, film. <laughs> I mean, obviously, you know, the director Yasuhiko San or Yoshikazu Yasuhiko, he, you know, he did the origin, so this falls more in line with with his vision, I would imagine. Yeah, I mean, I haven't read the origin, or at least I haven't read it in a long time, um, so I couldn't tell you if it follows exactly, but it does seem. Like it follows more in the uh, the origin style. I mean, obviously, all the designs are the origin designs and whatnot. So true. But yeah, that's that's your canon answer. And and to your point, it does it adds some I'll I'll call it flavored lore, right? Right. You know what it does? It takes the canon and lore we had before, and it adds seasoning to it. There you go. Yeah. It just sprinkles yeah. some delicious, beautiful <laughs> 2022 animated style seasoning <laughs> to this incredible one hour and 48 minute run. That's right. All right, Isaac, I, I wrote down the log line here, so let's take a oh look, boy. and then we'll jump into it. Do it. The Earth Federation forces, riding on the momentum of their successful defense of Jaburo, have launched a major counteroffensive operation to capture Odessa, the headquarters of Zeon's Earth Invasion Force. The White Base, with Amuro aboard, is headed to Belfast for final resupply before the operation. On the way, the White Base is assigned a special mission to mop up enemy remnants on an uninhabited island known as the Island of No Return. Amro and his comrades set out to search for remnant operatives, but all they find are children who shouldn't be there and a single Zaku. After losing the Gundam in battle, Amro encounters a man who calls himself Kukuru's Doan. Will Amro be able to uncover the island's secrets, find his lost Gundam, and escape in one piece? Wow. Dun dun dun. Well, first things off the bat, listeners, you're going to have to drop a comment. I want to know if you call it Jabrao or Jaburo, or if you happen to be from maybe a Spanish-speaking country, if it's called, I don't know, Haburo or something. <laughs> 
This is the third time yeah, I think we've had this like, debate. On yeah, this, this is a multiple choice question. Technically, there isn't a wrong choice, but my God, I want to see what the majority of fans go with. I'm going to go Jabrow. Anyways. Um, well, you're a, you're a 083 adherent yeah, through and through, exactly. right? So, yeah, with Jabrow, because I, I would imagine in military ling- lingo that that's, that's what they ended up be calling it. But okay, yes, that's exactly the perfect uh, setup for the series. Um, is We're not going to be running around the Earth sphere, going back and forth between a huge amount of locations. It really only takes place in you know the surrounding area of this island, if you think about it. It was an isolated story that had a lot of themes to it, and yeah, I don't know what else to add, Brian, <laughs> to kick us off. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I thought it was a great film. I finished up watching it, and I thought, to, and you know, usually Isaac and I, I think we take notes probably mm-hmm. throughout the things we watch, uh, just you know, for the podcast. And I actually wrote down at the end, I don't really have too much to complain about for this film. Uh-huh. It was uh, very, very different than what we just watched, Isaac, The Witch from Mercury, where that one I couldn't write fast enough when I was watching the damn show. I had to pause it all the time. This one, I just let it flow, let it breathe. I thought it was a great, great film. The island here is an actual island. It's called Alagranza. It's in the Canary Islands, which are off the coast of Africa, but actually a province of Spain, which I thought was uh, interesting. Maybe you can give us some history buff, <laughs> some history uh, on that one. Clearly, I don't think Spain got Sadly, it. Sadly, <laughs> I have minimal knowledge of the Spanish islands history. <laughs> of the, the Spanish provinces in the Canary Islands? You know what? Okay, Sunset needs to... <laughs> We need to go there and build a monument to Kukuru's Dome and and the glorious battle that happened there that saved the world from nuclear catastrophe. But you know what? We'll cross that bridge later. <laughs> Isaac, so you, you watched the dub, right? I sure did. All right. I also watched the dub just because Ooh. I was like, sure, let's watch the dub. There you go. I actually enjoyed the English voice actors. I thought they did a good job. I, I still do miss the old uh, dub cast, but far and away, Isaac, my favorite part of the dub cast is still... The voice actor for General Revel. He was back. Didn't have a big role. But Jason Simon, you have a wonderful voice. We need If they ever do remake the show, Isaac, we need a lot more General Revel just so that guy can do the voice. Yeah. We'll add him to our list of potential people to contact for an interview. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. I would want him to do the whole thing in the General Revel voice, though. He'll always be in our hearts as General Revel. <laughs> so just in terms of things that we thought about the movie, Isaac... I made a list. Did you make a list? Yes, I did. It's in my mind. <laughs> All right. <laughs> What's the first thing that comes to mind? The first thing is, it was actually Gop, <laughs> mm. who I, to my knowledge, I'm surprised, actually left Jabro and was on the bridge of a ship, right? <laughs> that doesn't seem very Gop to me, but I picked up so much from this viewing about Gop. Number one, we learned that he's a fleet admiral. I don't think that was mentioned anywhere else. Maybe it was. Number two, uh, this might be, at least can't canonically, this is the second time he's met slash talked to Makuve. If you remember in Origin, mm. he and Makuve were uh, also communicating at Antarctica, at Antarctica about the treaty before yep. Rebel did his speech. He must be the Federation guy who specializes in nuke negotiations. <laughs> yeah, or just in general, like, uh, I don't know, no pun intended in general. But General <laughs> General Revel, I assume, is probably more like the, the brawler type officer. And, you know, Gop will be the one they actually need for something administrative. But that doesn't really make sense here because Gop was part of the fleet. Yeah, he had his own aircraft carrier, Isaac. That, to my knowledge, that was the first time we had seen that aircraft carrier. That thing was massive. Yeah, and it was great seeing Gop in control of the situation. He wasn't intimidated by Makuve at all. Him, he and Makuve kind of always seem to, whenever they interact, they're always kind of half grinning at each other. You notice that? 
yeah even, even in origin like i don't know if they if that means they both understand each other the most or if they both really don't take each other seriously um <laughs> could be that yeah i i guess god really doesn't take makube seriously because he, he didn't care at all that those nukes were going to launch like it, <laughs> every every other officer on um cops bridge and uh, mm-hmm. also a little asterisk that i noted there was a woman for once at least two women uh, one or two mm. women on Gops Bridge. We almost never see high-ranking Federation women, right? It's like Matilda. That's true. That's kind of it. And they killed her. <laughs> yeah, that's there you go. I, 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 Matilda wasn't even high-ranking. She was pretty mid, I think. Maybe even low. But anyways, right, relative to the ones that we've seen, she was, Yeah, but, I would call her high. But yeah. th- this other woman was clearly on Gops Bridge, so we know she's high up there. Even when the missiles get launched, Gops seems to kind of keep his cool, right? Like, I assume Gops' approach was, look, we'll try to stop the missiles. If we don't stop them, we still have to defeat Xeon. So it's almost inconsequential whether the nukes go off or not. We still have to fight. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, it also, if the nukes go off, it just makes Xeon look worse. Yeah. Right. If they do hit, because then it's like yet another atrocity that they've committed, and this time it would break the treaty. Maybe you could argue that Gop, his reaction was a bad one, given that it, it could have killed millions of people. Um, but, but you know, I don't know what his what his stance on that is. So it also didn't help Makuve's case for Gop taking him seriously, given the fact that the the missiles don't actually end up hitting their target. Yeah, that that, and also the fact that the missiles were in play. Probably just confirmed to Gop how weak Xeon's position was at that point. That sure they're this desperate that they're going to not only break the treaty and use weapons of mass destruction, but you know th- there must be almost nothing really serious left to hold us back if we do go through this attack. Right, because if you think about it, if you're Gop, you're like, oh man, they actually did launch the missiles, and then you find out that they just blew up in your mind. You're like, well, these guys can't figure anything out. Yeah, it's like. <laughs> That's a good point, right? It's like, well, you got your your little doomsday, you know, fail safe <laughs> launched, but then it blows up in the atmosphere, so you don't exactly. You have no idea what you're doing, you know. You you can't even pull off a threat. Um, <laughs> Gop could have done nothing, and the same thing would have happened, most likely. Yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> well, <laughs> all right. So, what was the first thing you noticed? The first thing I noticed was because it was one of the first scenes, and then it was it was a theme that continued throughout the film, was that. The Federation suits uh, had a bad showing outside of the Gundam here. The Southern Cross team just, like, torched the gyms in oh, Casablanca. Yeah. And then when they fight the, uh, the White Base crew later on, the White Base crew did not have a good showing either. Slager got his head shot off. One of the gun cannons, I think, got destroyed. And I think was it Kai got his, his whole bottom torso just cut off. Uh-huh. I don't even think they took out one Southern Cross member, right? Doan and, and Amra took out the entire team. Yeah, pretty much. That's that's a great point. I didn't really think of it like that. I mean, in the Jim Pai's defense, they have much less experience than the white base crew. Yeah, that's true. So I'll give them a little bit of that. And clearly, against the gyms that the, the Southern Cross were fighting, clearly a high-mobility Zaku makes all the difference in like upgrading <laughs> the Zaku's abilities because they, they really went through the, the rest of the gyms in that city. So high-mobility Zaku, this was such a great showing for them. And I almost thought they were doms to we saw the whole image of the zaku you know yeah they have these like slightly larger leg vents and i yeah. guess that's where they they put the little mobility engines but yeah they're the, the mso6 zaku 2 high mobility type ground uses these have to be like one of your favorite zakus now right isaac even oh. given the color scheme i mean absolutely yeah i was so glad to see them and you know high mobility zaku has been around for a while but they're really kind of below my radar 
So now they're <laughs> on my radar. But you got to paint them brown, give them a desert color scheme, yeah. and have them skirt around, and then then you pay attention. Then Isaac's like, oh, ooh. Yep. I even like the Southern Cross symbol. I'd get that on for the squad, yeah. So something else uh, special, Brian. Add Southern Cross to the list of equal opportunity uh, mobile suit oh. squads because they had a woman pilot. That is so rare in Gundam. That is true. And that was um, one of the questions I, I had for you. I didn't, okay. again, I didn't have many criticisms of this, of this film. Uh, one of them would have been the white base crew performance could have been better. I think yeah. maybe I would have liked to see Slager kill one of the Southern Cross because he was billed as like a good pilot, right? That came on the crew. Yeah. Here so it would have been it. nice to see him do one of them even if you still get his gym destroyed i think that's fine yeah the other one was if i had to add anything to the movie isaac it would be maybe a little bit more background on the southern cross team okay there were so many of them that i didn't even really know all their names by the end of the end of the right film. yeah we had big guy leader who's a right. yeah dozel's doppelganger kind of <laughs> we had a more mellow-headed kind of silver-haired guy we right. had wacky salamander face yeah and then we had a silent woman <laughs> right that's that's about it but besides the big guy leader and the you know, crazy salamander face yeah who with his th- heat hawk throwing which is interesting i expected more out of the woman i think her name was selma i got the sense that she did not really want to be fighting doan oh and it felt like they had more history i was kind of expecting them to turn out to be like maybe they were an ex-couple or something i kind of expected him to spare her or at least that we would get more of doan's backstory out of her but then it cut to that part and he had already sliced her in half <laughs> and she was like why doing and i was like well i guess i guess we're done there like that wasn't gonna happen yeah exactly it clearly was inferred they had history either as friends or right i don't know they were yeah exes whatever but um yeah at the at the at the happening point the <laughs> I, I was expecting like a quick flashback to like you know back at site three they're on a date or something or sure something like that but no we didn't get that at all you're supposed to infer Don't previous life before he essentially became a traitor and then <laughs> yeah that's that's it uh, clearly him and the leader of southern cross have bad blood who i guess he has bad blood with everybody though right because he's got a problem with char also although he's right about char being a traitor um <laughs> so yeah a lot of a lot of stuff in the background yeah that, i mean that leader i think egba was his name okay i feel like he just doesn't really get along with anyone no but man I, I see why they keep him a squad leader because he's very good at killing other people. <laughs> he was. He was very good. He annihilated that gym team. Although my favorite part of that gym assault in Casablanca was the anti-ship rifle that the one gym like ate to the face when they blew his head off. Oh, wow. That was great. Yeah. yeah. You know Love what, Brian? That. I might be getting ahead of ourselves. Like, we didn't actually do a run through of the movie. But um, what was the sequence of Zeonic goals? By that I mean, it looks like Makuve had Doan on the island to operate and protect the island where the nukes were. That's right. That was what I took from it. Okay. Then they lost contact with Doan or they weren't entirely sure what was going on and they needed the nukes ready. So he sent the Southern Cross squad to the island who were able to reestablish the remote connections to allow them to, to allow Makuve to launch the missiles from his command center. Yeah. I mean, basically what happened or the way I understood it was... They had sent Doan to the island to maintain it. And, and I, I could be wrong about that, but I, I think that's what it was. And then uh, while he's there, he decides like, hey, you know, I really don't want a nuke. And so he sabotages the nukes while he's there. <laughs> that's what he was doing at night, was trying to figure out how to make them blow up when they launch. And so Makuve tries to communicate, can't get anyone. So he's like, hey, I need my nukes back. He sends the Southern Cross team in. 
they get there, they launch the nukes, but Doan has already sabotaged them, so they blow up in the in the, in the air. Okay, I have so many questions, uh, and these are all very critical questions of Makuwe's decision making abilities. Number sure. one, why would you have one Zaku protecting so many vital nukes for for something so critical? Number two, why would you send just the Southern Cross team to secure the island if something had clearly gone wrong with the uh, the nukes? Number three. Uh, but before Doan, uh, you know, anything happened with Doan and the Southern Cross team even, the Federation fleet, like, pulls up at Las Palmas, which is clearly a stone's throw away from his island. So uh, Makube really let this drop the ball, like, three times in a row with this situation. Like, he should have thrown everything he had to grab those nukes, right? I mean, he, he definitely didn't know that Doan had double-crossed him, right? Yeah. The Southern Cross may have been the best option he had at the time. I mean, I would imagine that the other forces were amassing in Odessa, and he doesn't want to pull them away. There was also, I think he was mentioning the assault on Gibraltar. He could have had people sure. tied up over there. Okay. But he even dropped the ball with, with Doan himself. Do you think Doan, before he met the children and got a change of heart, was Doan like the man for the job? Was that why he was selected? Or was it this a, more a case of, well, send somebody, anybody to guard the island, and Doan just happened to be the person? That part I wasn't clear on. I think if if I think about the movie, I think that was the only plot point I wasn't clear on about whether they actually selected him to go to the island or whether he really did betray and then he just went to the island and took out the person who was supposed to be guarding the island. Another kind of real world crossing into Gundam flaw thing is um, that the nukes themselves, when intercontinental and ballistic missiles are launched, uh, there's usually duds, dud warheads within the warhead as they um, scatter and launch towards their, their destination target. I hope we never find out in real life. But um, <laughs> the, the, the whole point of that is, you know, there will be attempts to shoot it down. So hopefully they hit mm. the duds and not the actual missile. Mukube clearly didn't design, or whoever designed these dudes clearly <laughs> didn't believe in that because there was just one warhead per city and they were the real ones so yeah it was i don't know if they were limited by size or whatever but they they said well there's no room for duds we really just have the or decoys we just have the nuke per target and uh, boy did that bite them well i mean to his credit at least he had more than one nuke right yeah at, at least there were it was five or six i think so that was good on his part but sure. yeah i guess he didn't have the duds i mean that said i think doan would have just found all the duds anyway and you know sabotage those as well probably so i'm not sure that it would have mattered but this whole thing about makuve actually brings up what i thought was one of the best parts of the movie was that it in general on the movie i thought all the characters acted like themselves and they pretty much everything was on point uh, especially makuve because it even went a little bit further for him and maybe this is why he didn't care so much, because he kind of really didn't care at the end, Isaac. Remember, after the nukes blew up, he laughed because he and he said like something to the effect of, well, I think the perpetrator doesn't want to nuke civilization like I like I don't. But Mukube's heart isn't in it for, for nuking things, right? Because he, you know, he collects art, right? He wants to preserve the finer things in life. He doesn't want to get rid of them. So it's always like, ironic that he's the one launching the nukes. That's true. And kind of going a little farther from from your talking point do you think these orders came from kaiselia or Giren? oh that's a good point we didn't we didn't see any of the zombies yeah. in this film i say this is Giren. technically he's under kaiselia but this feels very Giren. <laughs> it could just be something where he's blanket authorized to do so okay no, maybe not even authorized but maybe if this happens then do this i see okay so it's probably a general zombie order that came down and it it doesn't really matter who exactly came from it's just from leadership and get it done yeah because for all we know garen could have told him hey whatever you do they better not take odessa 
Right, yeah. Do anything you can to keep those forces on Earth. They lampshaded. We got some clear <laughs> a Third Reich uh, German references here because him and Goff were talking about the Germans wanting, having the order to burn down Paris before they lose it. And, um, you know, the, the German general in charge didn't carry that out because he, he thought Paris was so beautiful and didn't want to do that. And um, Makuve kind of laughs at the end because of the same situation happening. One of his men didn't follow the order and uh, the whole burn down plan didn't go through. I think that's a perfect characterization of Makuve. And it sets Makuve apart from being just a, a generic bad guy that launches the nuke. Right? Like if you compare Makuve to the guy we just watched fire the laser in G-Witch, Makuve has more layers to him whereas other guy was just like i want to push the laser like let me push the big laser button right that's a good point yeah okay well does this put like a few points in makuve's bucket for you brian like he's not a terrible guy (laughs) (laughs) i mean you know he's still a zeon yeah but i i think it makes him a better character for sure yeah and makuve just in general he's a pretty well-rounded character because he's like high up he's in charge of all these nukes seemingly He's also a pilot, Isaac, who did really well in, in Mobile Suit Gundam, all, you know, although he was fighting Amuro. If you compare Makuve to a lot of people that we see, he'd probably do pretty well. Yeah. He's a pretty well-rounded character. He does, he does a lot of things. Yeah, it was great seeing him again. It's a snappy dresser, too, you know, with his little, his little scarf thing, little floof. <laughs> One of the few... Actually, he's the only officer I've seen that ever dresses like that, so... Well, he's got flair. <laughs> yeah. I've seen one guy dressed similarly. I think it was in Origin. It was uh, like Dagwin's little assistant. But um, oh, okay. yeah, I don't know what the actual rank means for that or all that. As far as I'm concerned, it's like the, the cream, the mother of pearl version of like um, Shima and Char's <laughs> uniforms and, and uh, Cadillac's uniform where you know, <laughs> only a few people are in red. Only a few people have the little the neck handkerchief thing. So <laughs> Right, right, right. Speaking of uh, uniforms, Isaac, you must have loved this one. Because there was a lot more detail on the Federation uniforms than we normally see. Yeah, they look great. The officer uniforms look great. Even uh, Bright's... I, I wasn't happy seeing Bright in blue, because normally I, I prefer seeing him in khaki, but he looked great. Yeah, that, that must be an origin thing. They must place a lot of the Fed people in blue, I would imagine. But did you notice, like, I don't know what to call it, but the upper torso collar area of the Federation uniforms, the colors must have meant something. Like, some people had blue and white, some people had blue and red. Did you notice that? Yeah, a little bit. I feel like this is what's going to be great about a remake because it's going to flesh out the world even more with more detail that we can do. And you can begin, you know, very clearly inferring subtle rank differences, subtle, uh, you know, deployment and regional differences. Yeah, and Bright was much more official when he talked to the crew members in this film, right? He he kept calling Kai and Amuro by their ranks, which is not something that he really did in the original series. What was cool too was the, the contrast. Like Bright looked very young here, almost I'd argue younger than the original series, not by much, maybe like a year or so. Just the way he was presented and carried himself, he seemed more mature for someone that was clearly so young. Yeah, and this this also is still pretty early on, I would assume, in the journey. I mean, they haven't taken Odessa yet. They've been through some stuff, but they haven't been through Odessa and they haven't made it back to space yet. So he's still got a lot of growing to do. And I mean, he he handled it pretty adeptly by giving the crew an opportunity to get court-martialed, essentially, as Slager kept saying. Yeah. Bright had some of my favorite scenes, too, especially with that horrible officer that, like, gives him the orders to pretty much just relays the orders from headquarters to him. Oh, yep. I, I loved how when they said that they need the white base to join the attack on Odessa and stop what they're doing on the island, Bright was like, as you may recall, you, you told <laughs> us nobody else can do this on the island. 
<laughs> so how are you going to have someone replace us to do this operation if you need us at Idessa? You know, so right. yeah, and and then of course the when he was just a pure pure BSing that you know they had so many engine problems and technical problems yeah. on the ship that they can't possibly leave Spain anytime soon. <laughs> yeah, I love that he was using both phones at his disposal to do it. Right, right? Yeah. he was like asking one question on the left phone and then picking it up, picking up the right phone and being like, "What do you mean?" You know, it's uh, very well handled, Mister Bright. Interesting design choice on the bridge. Like, why would a captain need two phones next to him? Like, <laughs> if, if you're in the, anyone, any of our listeners in the Navy, like, if chime in if that's actually how bridges work. Like, the captain's chair really has multiple phones for, I guess, emergency situations or something. I mean, I guess you need at least two. I mean, this isn't Star Trek, right? Where you just, you're like, computer, you know, I don't know. It kind of is, Brian. Because <laughs> they, like, they clearly have a main screen, you know, and they can, That's true. Yeah. I, I hope that has picture within picture, you know. <laughs> Something else that made me laugh. Uh, there was actually quite a lot of laughs for me in this film. Uh, so the bright sandbagging everyone, which was funny. All the bright slap flashbacks, those were hilarious. I oh, got to see wow. him yeah. hit Amuro a few times. I liked how they showed it right one after the other. And, and, and like, doesn't in one of them, doesn't Amuro say, that was even harder than last time or something <laughs> like that. Um, but probably the funniest thing to me, Isaac, in this film, this killed me. And it was really early on. And it was so in character on both sides that I loved it. It was when Amro and Kai were searching the island, and Kai was complaining and over the radio that he was getting attacked by the kids, and Amro just wasn't having it, and he just turned off the radio on Kai without even answering him. <laughs> uh, Amro, he's been through a lot. This is this is a very <laughs> rough like couple of days for Amro. <laughs> and the other funny thing being, I now know how to milk a goat, Isaac, because. <laughs> <laughs> Doan taught me with his detailed step-by-step goat milking instructions. Uh, yeah, that's this movie was a tutorial in that regard. Then, but <laughs> <laughs> one of the funniest things I thought was the children. They locked themselves in. What, oh, what yes. were they in a pantry or something like that, or a, yeah, bathroom? something like that? The hunger strike. Yeah, and then of course they're the hunger strike's broken within minutes by uh, <laughs> by uh, by Slager wisely saying that they have honey ice cream, which sounds delicious, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> We'll have to do a live stream where Isaac eats honey ice cream and yeah. watches Doan's Island. Well, we'll do it when we go to Spain because we clearly have to go there <laughs> to the, the actual region, the island region. and We, you will, know, yeah. <laughs> we will watch it in the crater of El Agranza Island. We'll, we'll tell them, like, we heard you guys were good at, like, honey ice cream. And by the way, we're here to, to commemorate a great hero. <laughs> so, Isaac, maybe a few points on the designs here. Did we know that the big tray was amphibious? I haven't seen it go on water. I just kind of assumed by like the look of it, since it's just a glorified big hovercraft, that it was amphibious because uh, it's got like the kind of you know air cushion skirt thing that all sure, all yeah. hovercraft has. But oh, it absolutely makes sense. I just before Revel said that, I didn't. I that had not occurred to me. No, I mean we've never seen it on water. I'll give them. I don't uh, think so. Yeah, I'll yeah. give you that. Yeah, I wouldn't blame people for looking at it and saying it's too big to put on water. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> but I guess yeah, I'm, I'm surprised they made such a big point about saying you know this is the route that it needs to go through to get to Odessa. Yeah, they made that, that such a critical plot point. But it was cool seeing the big tray like in its little. I guess dry dock would be the term. Yeah, that's a good dry dock. Yeah, equivalent of a hangar. Yeah. Right, and then they put like a naval capital ship next to it for scale, and so just so we could see how big it was. Yeah, so, I think it was huge. Yeah, it was called the the Moltke, I think, or the maybe the Molk. I don't know. How okay. That. But then I started looking up big tray like ship names. Uh huh. Right? And my favorite one is called the Queen Turtle. 
and it <laughs> it fights during the grips war in the manga uh, advance of zeta oh so wow one day we'll read that isaac and we can learn about the queen turtle and her uh, exploits that's the best name for a big tray yeah see I, the federation has pretty good ship names you know it, it's always stuff that's kind of reasonable that we can kind of recognize they don't go wacky like zeon sometimes well, speaking of wacky oh, Zeon boy. names, Isaac, the, the star of the Zeon show here was the fat uncle. <laughs> yeah, I, at first I thought to myself, is that what the Federation calls gals? And then, <laughs> and then I saw it, and then I was like, that's not a gal. <laughs> I, Isaac, that one sounds like the Federation named it. That sounds like an enemy name for the ship. Yeah, really. Yeah, the, the fat uncle. <laughs> I mean, it's a pretty perfect name. I'll, I'll give it to him. Right, yeah, it was it was cool seeing it. Um, I'm kind of curious why they use that instead of the gal. We did see a gal once, I think, in the show, but maybe maybe I was just mistaking that for the fat uncle. But but yeah, the fat uncle's uh, that's uh, that's something with that design and that name, classic right there. Yeah, I can. Uh, would you, would you want to buy one? <laughs> I I would buy a mini a mini desk replica of the fat uncle to that's go cool. with my little mini white base. Yeah, I like that. There you go. Put some put yeah. some uh, Southern Cross team members in there, little miniatures. <laughs> so Isaac, maybe my biggest takeaway from this film about why it's so good is made especially clear given the fact that we just watched Witch from Mercury. Okay, hmm. I think this film differs from Witch from Mercury in two really big ways that make it much better, more enjoyable. And I'm not even talking about endings. One, this film was very cinematic. Or yes. Where less is more. There were more good cinematic filmed, I'll call it, scenes in this show than I can even remember in Witch for Mercury. So here's some examples. So the very first time the Doan ambushed the Gundam from behind silently, that was terrifying. It was almost like a horror film scare. Do you remember that? When his arms came across? Right. Oh, man. Like kind of like you're saying, a horror movie, like the stereotypical, you know, the killer jumps out of the bushes and like both hands have nothing in them. One grabs right. like your chest or your neck and the other one just covers your mouth. It was essentially that, but with mobile suits. Right. And it was silent. Amuro was looking around and then yeah. boom, I was like, oh, <laughs> like he's here. How did Amuro not detect it? Like, I don't know. Doan's a master of his, of his island. I guess so. The Manowski particles were very thick. <laughs> very, very thick. Another good example, Isaac, on a smaller scale, we spent the whole night with Amro walking around trying to find his Gundam, and the only thing he finds at the end of the night is the crater. He's staring into this giant hole uh, that I think one of the kids called a mortar crater, which is pretty morbid. I don't actually know if that crater is real on Isla Granza, but I'll assume it is. <laughs> we'll find out when we go. We'll ask them, was there a giant battle here with mobile suits and one of them used a mortar <laughs> to blow this crater? <laughs> it reminded me of, if you watched Andor... Oh. When they were on the planet doing the uh, undercover operation to steal the gold. Right. And how that planet was very sweeping and big. Like, that reminded me, that's what Amro walking into the crater reminded me of. It was just, it was much bigger in scope. Amro felt really small. The situation, it made the situation seem very hopeless, but also hopeless, but also very melancholic. Yeah. In, very introspective situation for Amro to be Absolutely. in. Absolutely. Yeah. Kind of backtracking a, a little bit to what you just said. So... Do you think that's the crater from when Doan was just chopping through those gyms, killing them left <laughs> and right, 
And he told the kids later, like, oh, you know, I I just came back from just patrolling. You know, there was clearly we we're under mortar attack. That's what the explosions were. You know, nobody actually got killed. I'm mm. fine. But there was just mortars being dropped on the island. We'll be okay. Could be. I don't know. I don't okay. know if it was from that instance or you're just supposed to assume that maybe there was a, an original battle on the island for, for Zeon to even seize it. Could have been from that. It also could just be a volcano. I don't really know what the situation is on Alagranza. I guess we could look it up. It is a real island. Maybe it does have a volcano on it. Okay. I, I kind of have to go back to a strategy question. If the if the Federation was at Las Palmas with clearly a huge force, why didn't they just go to... Well, I kind of answered my own question, and the movie answers the question for me. They did want to go to that island, and they... they yeah, I mean, yeah. The, white, the white base was the answer. Like, hey, you, yeah. go get them. The white base was kind of plan B, actually, because plan A got killed. <laughs> yeah, the gyms, <laughs> gyms didn't do so well. Okay. They lost the gun parry and everything. Okay, so the Federation was working on the island. It just... Yeah, things just spiraled in a different way than they thought. Okay. Another good example, the very last fight, where it had two great examples. It was Amuro coming in, and at this point he had lost his shield against Doan earlier in the movie. And to fight the big boss, Egba, he lights up both sabers. That was a great scene. Loved that. And then even just the, what I'll call set piece at the end, Amuro fights Egba on the crater's edge. That was a perfect place to have a, a climactic fight. Oh, yeah. And then they give Egba like kind of a, a Star Wars villain death, Disney villain death, yeah. where, of course, you're always next to like a bottomless pit or a cliff or a chasm. <laughs> and there you go. <laughs> Down you go. Although he was cut in half. And that was pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that was also, this is not my second way that it differs, but because we're talking about it. That part where Amro kills Egba was one of the best parts of the film for Amro because it showed that Amro wasn't just attacking randomly he makes a comment like he's waiting for his opportunity he's like there he says says something like there it is he realizes when Egba let his guard down and that's when he kills him it builds some tension there it shows Amuro has some strategy he's not just firing off random attacks both of them were literally on the precipice of defeat and so choosing the moment to strike shows his his intuition as a pilot i thought that was good when that happened brian when he was cut in half in your mind were you screaming as god is my witness he is broken in half <laughs> that's exactly what i was thinking <laughs> by god he's dead <laughs> send it the mps all right no. oh jr oh. but my second reason why it differs from which isaac is this film did a lot Uh, had a lot of character interaction where they weren't even talking. The characters had a lot of room to breathe and they didn't say everything they were thinking. And a lot of stuff was communicated with just looking at each other and pauses, particularly between Amuro and Doan. There was this undercurrent through the movie of like, hey, we both know we're both pilots and we're enemies, but you know what, kid, go look for your Gundam. And I'm just not going to help you look for it, but you can go do it if you want. And Amuro was like, okay, I'm going to go find it. And when I get it, I'm going to probably blow up your Zaku and fly away. I felt like a lot was communicated in the movie without actually saying it, which I think is different than a lot of the stuff that you get, like uh, Witch from Mercury, which is they had too little time to do what they wanted to. So everyone was always just explaining everything left and right, which you don't necessarily need to do to make a good a good piece of work. Yeah, very true. And even not just even alone in silence without any dialogue or monologue, you could clearly see emotion and right. and the thoughts on certain characters' faces just alone. And the the scene that really strikes out to me, and I'd love to hear your thoughts on this, is when Amuro squashes that Xeon pilot that was oh, defenseless man. and running because Amuro clearly is not okay with what he did. And I would even argue... I know I'm I'm Zeon and stuff, but I would argue that this was very unarmoro of Amuro to do. 
it was, I think you have to keep in mind that I think Amuro had to make the choice of to, to kill him to save the kids or to not kill that guy. Because if he lets him live, he might kill the kids, even accidentally, right? Because right. a falling piece of rubble could smash the house, and then they're all dead. Part of me feels like that was uncharacteristically Amuro, and what the Amuro I know should have done would be essentially say, essentially, you know, use the speaker on the Gundam and say, stop, or I will squash you. Right. Uh, whether the guy would have still booked it and Amuro had to kill him, that would have been kind of more understandable. But if the guy kind of surrendered, that'd be much more Amuro, where he, he takes the guy into custody or something. You know, I don't know how that would have played out, but it, it seemed more Amuro than the Amuro that we saw. You could say it was a little more Suleta than Amuro, even though I think this came out before uh, Witch for Mercury. But, uh. Right, yeah. And uh, as far as comparison between the two, I'll just say this. This was much better done and much more enjoyable <laughs> than the Witch for Mercury, despite the Witch for Mercury having far more time to put together a coherent good story. This was such a much better, you know, encapsul- almost an encapsulated movie within itself, it could be. So, right. Uh, oh, what was I going to say? Oh, Egba. So, Egba calls people traitors twice. Doan, we clearly know, is a traitor because he kind of ran off and went AWOL, right? MIA. At least that's what his team thinks. Again, yeah. I don't. If, if, if Mukube placed him there, it seems odd to place him there but not tell his team where he's going. I don't know. That was a little strange. Yeah. So that's the only thing I'm unclear about. So okay. If, if listeners, if you understand, let me know. I mean, let me double check that right now. That's While, while you're checking on that, Egba throws around the traitor accusation a lot. So first he used it against Doan, and then Egba also said that Char is a traitor. But at this point in the story, Char's part of command. He, he can't be a traitor. He's doing everything he's told to do. He's actually very good at it. So is, is Egba just throwing around these insults? I think Egba has some Problem. authority issues. Okay. And it seems to me that he's been burned by Doan's apparent desertion. <laughs> right? Because he, he, he would have been on the team when Doan was leading the Southern Cross. Okay. So does he not have authority issues with, like, Makuve then? Because... Makuve's power level or just like why would he not have authority so he only has authority maybe, issues maybe not if, like authority. You're in his squad or near his level right i th- yeah i i think it's like paranoia about battlefield people with authority i see okay right? Makuve's not on he's not on the front lines like char like doan okay okay that kind of makes more sense okay all right interesting i guess whatever helps egba get hyped up for battle just call any enemy his traitor or a traitor so I, I, I'm, I'm checking. Here's the facts. But that part, right? It wasn't super clear about how he got on the island in the film. No, like I, I'm very curious too. How like the final reports were going to Makuve, like like, hey, I'm on this island. You know, I'm taking care of these kids. And <laughs> or did he not mention the kids <laughs> at all? Or was like Makuve, like Makuve, like I don't care. Whatever you do, you know, just just keep those nukes running. And then once the communication <laughs> stopped, Makuve was like, well, I have to send the Southern Cross team. Like, there, there's a few. Right. I'm, I'm curious about how the exact sequence of events happened. All right, I'm reading it here. I think some of this probably comes from some side stories. Oh, man. Guess where Doan's wife was? Um, she was on Island Ifish. The colony dropped wow. to Earth during Operation British. So she was outside of Side 3? Yeah, she was emigrating away from Side 3. He now understood that his wife and son had been killed by Zeon's attack. Oh, wow. Oh, my. That explains a lot. Okay. Oh, boy. Boy, they really picked the wrong guy for the job. <laughs> okay, he did desert. He did desert because there was that one scene. Now it makes sense. There was that one scene in the film where he sees the, the he flashes back to the Southern Cross fight, uh-huh. and he sees the one kid like struggling. Yeah, with like a dead mother. That was one of the kids. That was uh, the kid's name's Lope. 
but um, uh, I did I did read that afterwards, but I didn't realize when I was watching the watching the movie. <laughs> Wait a minute! After his wife and son get gassed and dropped on Earth in the colony, and it takes like scene, <laughs> it takes scene like the corpse of a random person with like a, a crying child to make him realize, you know what? Zeon's bad. <laughs> oh no no! It was because it was oh. because he didn't know he didn't know that that he deserted the next day after learning that and seeing the kid oh so that all happened in one day he got he found out yeah. about what happened to his family and he saw that um uh, the, the collateral damage in one day oh wow okay yeah 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 there's there's a good uh, page on doan on the on the wiki because a lot of this was not in the film so this is actually uh. pretty helpful to uh gives a lot of context here but sadly i'll never read it brian because doan is a <laughs> traitor to zeon <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, Doan killed the Zeon operative that was stationed on the island. Oh, so Doan isn't the real, the actual guard. Correct. He killed ah. the guy that was supposed to be there. It's just a coincidence that he found his way to Alagranza, an, wow. un- an uninhabited island that secretly houses Zeon nuclear silo. Huh. After killing the Zeon operative stationed on the island and dumping their Zaku into the ocean, he built a secret home for war orphans and he rescued there, including the crying boy he saw, which was Lope. Wow. Well, Brian, it sounds like Doan not only punches above his weight because he's a one-man machine that can fight a squad, (laughs) but it also seems like he has a way of going to the right place at the right time. Does that mean that Doan is a new type, Brian? Oh, I don't know about that. Oh, oh, I don't know. He's a pretty good pilot. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe. He's drawn to sorrow for sure. Hmm. Uh, It does give uh, Makuve a little bit more of a pass then, right? Because he... Makuve had a guy on the ground. Yeah, he just didn't. He didn't know that Doan had, had killed him probably months ago. Honestly, still that much more of a pass though, because as far as I'm concerned, Makuve dropped the ball by having one man <laughs> guarding this very critical, you know, series of missiles. Um, <laughs> when it should have been a small army. You know? Well, he was probably trying to be quiet, you know, be secret. Why not just put the missile? The missiles were on the submarine, right? <laughs> why, why not just move that oh. sub? That sub to Odessa. Well, wait, were they in the sub or were they, they weren't in the base? Okay. Well, maybe they were transported by the sub, but there's clearly a sub oh, there. Oh, that's true. You know? Got to get them there. That's true. Yeah. So if they can get on the sub and off the sub, then <laughs> just put them back on and then move the sub to Odessa. <laughs> just we can, mobile. Mobile weapons. Yeah. You're going to want to keep the ace in your hands, you know? So. I, again, I think it's because Makuve's heart isn't in it, Isaac. All right. Well, you know what? None of this would have happened if Admiral Isaac was in charge. Like... <laughs> Admiral Isaac leads with the nukes and asks yeah. questions later. Exactly. You know what? Nukes are pretty robust. So the moment I knew something was wrong on the island, I would have napalmed it, and then we moved the nukes. <laughs> so sorry, kids, but I got, there's a war to win. That's all you got to know. Isaac's like three-quarters Zeon, but like a quarter Blue Cosmos. Yeah, you know? pretty much. And they're like, sprinkle some Titans policy on top of that, too, <laughs> as you guys will find out when we do our Zeta watch. But... <laughs> That was pretty much everything on my list, Isaac. Do you have anything left? I definitely left it wanting more and feeling sad that there wasn't more. You know, I'd I'd love the series to continue from here or even see before. But that's not really how this works. I'd almost want this treatment to be done for each episode of the series. That'd be awesome. Each episode gets an hour 45. Oh, yeah. Or you could even break it up into like these three episodes relate. So let's do one movie for those three kind of thing. You know, like it'd be it'd be fantastic. So yeah, exactly. Like, could you imagine like all the Rambo Rao episodes in one, all the Black Tristar in one? I mean, that'd be super cool. Oh, it'd be awesome. Gundam the miniseries. Yeah. Yeah, I've seen a lot of comments on that. I think it's pretty divided, actually. I think some people they, they just can't fathom it being remade. They don't understand why you would do it. There's people like us who see this and we're like, this would be great. 
not only do I fall on the side that thinks it would be great because the animation is so cool and it's just it's fun to see in a in a more modern take, but also I think from a business point of view, I mean they they make Gundam to make money. You know, you're not painting it because you like art. I mean they like art, but you got to pay the bills. And so at some point, just to keep your franchise going, there will come a time when people no longer want to watch the original. I know that's considered blasphemy by some, but that's just what the kids are into these days, right? They just like flashy things. You know, if, if you turn on Netflix or Crunchyroll, there's so many other things to watch. At some point, the 1979 series isn't going to draw in new fans. And so that's a reason that it, I'm going to say it will be remade one day. It might not be this year. It might not be five years from now. But 10 years from now, I think it'll probably be remade. And the other reason, which I don't really want to even mention because it's like not a cool thing to talk about, but there's probably some resistance to remaking it while Tomino-san and all the voice actors from the original are still alive. That's a good point. Like, that's a very serious thing in Japan. They may wait till they're all dead to remake it. That's hmm. not, I don't mean that to be like morbid or anything, but that's probably just the reality of the situation. It's going to be a lot easier to remake this thing when all those people are gone and they don't have to think about that or worry about it. Not that they should worry about it, but like... If you were to remake this today, a lot of people would say, well, why don't you let Tomino-san do it? Or why don't you let Yasuhiko-san do it? Well, Yasuhiko-san gave that interview a year or two ago where he said, look, if Tomino wanted to redo it, he could. No one could stop him. But he also said the Tomino of today is much different than the Tomino who made this show. So do you want him to remake it? Does he even want to remake it? They're all getting really old. Those guys deserve to do whatever they want with the time that they have left. You know, I don't know if they want to take a big project like this on. But regardless, we're all expendable. Businesses don't care. One day, Bandai Namco, they're going to remake this just to make money. It doesn't really matter what, what I think, what you think. Money conquers all, Isaac. Yeah, that's a good point. I didn't really think of it like that. Hearing you say that almost makes me believe that, well, pretty much does make me believe that we'll get a Star Wars remake. Oh, someday. Yeah, they're already talking about the, the Harry Potter remake's going to happen, and look how recent that I was. I know, right? Does so, anyone want that? That is ridiculous. Um, the, uh, clearly, the executives, and I assume the shareholders, want that. So. Ay, ay, ay. Well, hey, Isaac, you could re- a lot of people are arguing that you should remake episodes 7, 8, and 9, and I would probably agree with <laughs> I, I, As far as I'm concerned, start from the, pre- the prequels and do a remake. Um, you know, Marvel it, lock in some oct- a- actors and actresses for huge lengthy contracts and just get it done. And, you know, expand on it, make it more interesting, more answer a lot more questions, definitely. But, um, you know, when Lucas is gone and, I don't know, Hamill's gone or whoever else, fresh young faces, it'll, it'll be a great experience, I think. And I'd be optimistic, just like I'd be very optimistic about a remake for this, even if it's 10 years out. Gundam definitely deserves it. And with its place in anime, I think a reboot and a refresh would definitely uh, attract more fans, breathe life into it, because it's, it's still going strong now. At least we might be in the golden age of Gundam with how great the recent series have been and even OVAs like this that are kind of side stories it's it's just a great time to be a Gundam fan and um yeah this was such a great experience I, I look forward to nothing but more great things from uh, Sunrise yeah and if you think about it Isaac I think we just celebrated um the 40th anniversary in 2019 the 50th anniversary would be a great time to remake the show 2029 it's not that far away people we're already in 2023 wow they did the origin. They did this. You could argue that both of them were really testing the waters, right? Like, because if this came out and it failed and no one liked it, then maybe they would be like, you know, maybe people don't want to see that show anymore. But this has like really high reviews uh, wherever you check. 
It's all like 4.8 and above. That's really good out of five. Just start it now. Just start the pre-production now. <laughs> Build the, the hype train. Yeah, and if they're going to do this, they're going to put all their effort into it because, you know, it's not every day that you remake a franchise. Like, this is an important thing, right? It's going to be like a unicorn where it takes like a decade (laughs) to tell the story. (laughs) Very well could be. I mean, you know, we've talked about this before. If you were to remake this, look, your your last time you did this started a franchise that's lasted almost 50 (laughs) years at this point. If you're going to remake it, you're going to make sure it lasts another 50 years, right? It's like Helsing, where they need six years to tell six episodes. <laughs> <laughs> or Berserk, yeah. right? Where they, it's been like three years and there's like five episodes. <laughs> yeah. So I'll finish my thought on the remake, Isaac, by just saying, look, I am one of the people that, that does want a remake just to make sure the franchise stays accessible. Not that I think it's inaccessible, but I think other people do. And it's not really my opinion that counts. But even if I didn't want to remake, I would still tell you that eventually Bandai will remake the show just because it makes money and they have to yeah. they have to ensure that they need to continue to make money. I think the answer is they will remake it, not because of what anyone thinks, but because of the return that they will eventually uh, guarantee themselves. You know what? This was so great. I wish I could buy it. I would support it that way, you know, or I don't know. I'd get merch. I get Southern Cross merch or Makuve merch or something. Uh, (laughs) You get the little Makuve floof and wear that as we live stream. Yeah, I start wearing that to work and (laughs) walking around town. It's like, are you in the military? It's like, nah, not the the United States military. (laughs) I'm with Xeon. Isaac, how many Haros would you give this film? Oh, I'd give this six out of five Haros. Wow, nice. I love it. If you're a Gundam fan, if you're an anime fan, a Mecha fan, watch this series. And if you haven't seen the original series or you barely remember it, that's okay. Because this almost feels like a self-contained movie in itself. You know, you don't need to know a lot about the lore or anything like that. It's just people in a war and this is what's happening on an island. Brian. How many Haros do you give Kukuru Dones Island? I think I'm going to give it nine and a half out of ten Haros. I think it was a great to see all of our old friends again on the white base. They were all in top form. I loved the cinematic feel of the movie. That was a great change of pace. It had room to breathe, which I think a lot of shows don't do these days. And uh, it was it was gorgeous to watch. I liked the story. It was self-contained. It left me you know, wanting a remake, but it also left me satisfied that we were able to get this at all, Isaac. I mean, I think mm-hmm. it's frankly a little bit amazing that we that we got this. So I love it. Highly recommend it, especially if you've seen the original Mobile Suit Gundam. But to your point, you don't need to know that much about Gundam. I mean, maybe it would help to see like a, some episodes of the original or maybe even like the first compilation movie. And if you just don't worry too much about the, the canon or the sequence of events, it's like you said, it's a perfect side story. It doesn't really affect the, the whole story at the end of the day, but uh, it's a nice little romp. So... Highly recommended. You should all go watch it. Yeah, what makes it so accessible, too, is they don't go into anything new type. They don't discuss how the Gundam's like a prototype and, oh, it's so great and all that. You're just launched into the setting, and it's done so well. Yeah, it's a very understandable story, right? Kids are in trouble. Let's save the kids. Yeah, we don't go back and forth between, you know, the Xeon High Command. And, I mean, we see Makuve, but we're not going to the zombies on side three. And we're, we're not talking about like, you know, space fascism and uh, and all that stuff. It's, it's just it's so self-contained, so not low level, but intimate that um, it, it's very accessible. And you'd, you'd be foolish not to see the series or movie. I'm sorry. Yeah, th- those other things that you said are they're there if you want them. 
but they're not like necessary to the story. So if you if you have knowledge of Gundam, I think you'll have a, a good time and find lots of little things. Like for example, the little certificate in Bright's office on the white base that's signed by General Revel uh, on his wall. Did you notice that? I thought, I thought that was neat. <laughs> I missed that. Well, like a certificate. Wait, he did a class with General Revel. <laughs> uh, I don't know. Maybe it was like yeah, like his HR training class. You know, signed off by General Revel. Oh, it could be he, his like uh, rank you know certificate was? or something. I don't know. Brian, it was the Bright Noah Academy for Gentlemanly Officers. Oh, oh there, you, there go. you go. He got his he got yeah. his charter to start the school. I, I guarantee you, Basque Alm does not have that certificate signed on his wall. You know that one signed by Gop. Yeah, or, or no, no, give Gop more credit. I don't think Gop would sign one for Basque Alm. Uh, Jamatov, yeah, or uh, Colony Admiral Colony. Yeah, that's true. Colony, that guy. Colony, sorry. Yeah, Colony. Because <laughs> he's a colon. Yeah. <laughs> we need a colon. The Federation needs a colonoscopy. Hey. <laughs> All right, listeners, let us know your thoughts on the film, your characters, Mecca, anything you want to talk about, let us know. Did you see the original Dones Island? What do you think compared to this one? Is this canon? Is this a glorified side story? You know, what was your favorite part of it? <laughs> what did you think about the goat milking? You know, do you think uh, you could do it now that you you got those detailed instructions? I mean, I, <laughs> look, it's a good movie and it gives life advice, Isaac. There you go. Exactly. Yeah. You never know when you might have to milk a goat, you know. <laughs> yeah. You, you would just be sitting there. The world's gone to, you know, and you're, but then you got it yourself a goat and you're like, well, at least I saw Kukuru's Doe and Milk Blanca in that Mobile Suit Gundam movie. Wait, the goat had a name? It was Blanca? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Blanca. Oh, wow. I must have missed that. I was probably rolling my eyes whenever they were showing the kids <laughs> and stuff on the island. I was like, oh, God, just launch the nukes. <laughs> Where are the nukes? Just napalm the island. Oh, there's a bunch of human debris on the island. <laughs> <laughs> Isaac would name his nukes like children. Oh, that's Kika. <laughs> that's 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 cats. <laughs> that's little Billy. <laughs> <laughs> I guess, anyway. well, guess kind of like children, right? You always have to watch them. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. They they require a lot of maintenance, a lot of time. Yeah, exactly. Money. You know, you don't want you don't want some guy to hijack and sabotage your whole plan for the news. <laughs> this is great recording on a Sunday morning, Brian, because you know it's, why, why go to church when you can record a Gundam podcast, right, Brian? <laughs> yeah, this is our first morning recording, listeners. So if Isaac seems peppier, it's because he, you know, just woke up, he did a little workout, and then he came to get some uh, Gundam podcast time. Exactly. Yeah. Why? Why go to church when you can go to Gundam, Brian? You know, <laughs> Jesus isn't real, but Gundam will always be real. <laughs> oh, Jesus Christ! <laughs> Alrighty, everyone, take us away, Isaac. All right, listeners, before you go to sleep tonight, stand next to your bed, get on your knees, put your hands together, look up at the ceiling, and hail the Southern Quara Squadron. The Southern Quara. <laughs> I'll re-add that in. And hail the Southern Cross Squadron of Zeon. Good morning, everybody. <laughs>